Hey everybody, today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about what it takes to have great teams. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. We are back. We're back. July 4th is over. Yeah. How'd you do? Fingers intact? Oh, it's a long story. Actually, it's not very funny because did you hear about the hockey goalie who... No. Yeah, there was a 24-year-old NHL hockey hockey goalie who died on the 4th of July from a firework hitting him in the chest. Are you for real? Yeah. He was in a... He was at a coach's house. He was in a hot tub and the thing must have got knocked over and they were all trying to get out of the hot tub and... At first, the news came out that he slipped trying to get out of the hot tub and hit his head, but then eventually it came out that he actually got hit with a mortar, like right in the chest, and the wound and the the impact was so strong that they couldn't um, save him. Wow! Yeah, they were lighting fireworks off, huh? Well, it wasn't even an illegal firework, right? Yeah, so I don't know. It's crazy, but not to Woo. not to start with such a downer, but <laughs> we did All some right, fireworks. Everybody, yeah, it's going uphill from here. Um, so, I mean, that's tragic. We, 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 uh, we did some fireworks in my mom's backyard and, but we do the little, um, those little ones that kind of just stand there and they yeah. just like shoot out a ton of colorful stuff and yeah. it was pretty fun. We had a good time. Yeah. Hot um, dogs. We didn't do any fireworks. We, we live too close to our neighbors. I always worry about burning their house down. Oh yeah. We live in the same neighborhood. Our neighborhood's not, although there was no shortage of people in our neighborhood setting off fireworks no. cause it was banging. Yeah. I mean. My dog was going crazy. Yeah, like he it's would, always amazing. Yeah, he was terrified. Not just the fourth, but the night before too. Yeah, yeah. People, people are going wild. So we hope you had a great Fourth of July, celebrating um, our country and yep. um, and also praying for our country and and obviously lots of things for us all to be both celebrating and praying for. Um, but it's good to be with you guys. It's the middle of the summer, which means we're getting closer to fall. My favorite season. Also Come means, on. We're still in summer, man. Yeah, I know. Well, this you, is my favorite season. That's because you have a pool in your backyard. Yep. It's and, been great. And it's having a pool in your backyard during, during summer makes summer a very different experience for you. Yeah, it's been wonderful. It's I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's a busy time, but it's a lot of fun, and fall will be here soon, so soak up that vitamin D, baby. Mm, vitamin D is good for me. We yep. were actually taking vitamin D pills during the winter because that was like one of the things they were saying, like if you get COVID, yeah. don't be low on vitamin D. Yeah, my wife still still takes her regiment. Even with, even as much time as you guys are out in the sun? Yeah, she can't can't get enough vitamin D. You is know? that true? But I'm sure it's not. I'm sure at some point it's Something will happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're uh, we're excited to be diving back in and recording today. It's, it's, it's awesome and... We've got something um, today that you have been spending a lot of time thinking through, and we talk a lot of leadership on this podcast, but sometimes we don't always connect the leadership principles that come from the Bible, which mm-hmm. um, as pastors, we teach out of and preach out of all the time, um, but sometimes we fail to connect the idea that actually it's not just great sermons that can come out, but there's some great leadership principles that are taught and, and, and can arise from the Bible, and you've been going through a series called Leadership from Nehemiah or leadership lessons from Nehemiah. And so we wanted to take some time and talk about what are we learning as we're diving through the book of Nehemiah and looking at some things that we see in him and through that story that are a really powerful impact on, on leadership. So whether, whether you're a pastor or maybe you're not even a Christian, that's fine. At the very least, um, I think today we want to talk about what are you learning about, about leadership from the book of Nehemiah in the Bible? Yeah. And today we're going to really focus on teamwork and that Nehemiah one of the things that's remarkable about 
him. He was a great leader, and there's a lot that you can learn from his life. Nehemiah, this story takes place about 500 years, 400, 500 years before Jesus was born. Um, the nation of Israel is long gone. They've uh, been dragged, uh, the 10 northern tribes have been dragged off by Assyria, and then about 150 years later, the two southern tribes, tribes were dragged off by Babylon. And at this point, which is about 150 years after that, they're actually under the control of the empire of Persia. But Persia was um, more allowing of the people they'd conquered to, to still maintain their identity and even to go back to where they were taken from. And so at this point in history, the people, the Jewish people have been allowed to go back to Jerusalem and start to rebuild. And Ezra has already gone back and another guy named Zerubbabel has gone back. They've rebuilt the temple. They've been rebuilding um, the residences, but the walls and the gates of the city, which were crucial to the identity and security of a city at that time, were not rebuilt. And so then enter Nehemiah, who's a cupbearer in the court of the Persian ruler, uh, most likely Artaxerxes. And he catches a burden for these, uh, the fact that there's no walls and there's no gates. And he asks permission to go back. And, and the king sends him back. And he gets there and he looks around and he sees it's a disaster. And he, he knows that there's a work to do. But what's remarkable or interesting here is that before Nehemiah builds a wall, he builds a team. And one of the messages that I shared in this series was the idea that leaders build teams. That's what we want to talk about today. When you think about teams... You know, we can think about sports, we can think about movies, we can think about um, any really arena of life, but greatest team you think you've ever seen, and please do not say the Patriots. I think you, you can't you can't ask me about the greatest team you've ever seen and then tell me I can't say the greatest team I've ever seen. I mean, that's just not fair. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, my favorite team, it's hard to compare, right? Because if you try to compare sports and then you try to compare time, um, like different different times in sports, like sure. the NBA yeah. now compared to, compared to I, I mean, I, you know, I just recently watched the, the Michael Jordan Bulls documentary and it's hard for me not to the look at. The final season, I think it was called, or the yeah. final something, yeah. It's hard for me not to look at some of those teams and go, man, Yeah, it's hard to imagine. I mean. And then I don't know if this totally compares, but in that documentary, they talk a little bit about the dream team Mm -hmm. and it's hard not to go like, could there have been any better team than that? (laughs) I mean, that collection of NBA players, like when you look at those 12 players, I mean, are probably six to eight of them would be in the list of 50 best players in the history of the NBA. Right. I mean, right off the bat, you have Magic Johnson, Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. Like before you even get to any of these other stuff, I think. Was Hakeem Olajuwon on that? Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Scottie Pippen, uh, Clyde Drexler, I think, John Stockton, Charles Barkley. Yeah, it's insane. And somehow, um, what's his name, Christian Leitner? (laughs) Because I think they took one college kid, didn't they? Like They had to take one college kid on the team or something, or they chose to. Somebody had to carry the water bottles. Yeah, Christian Leitner. Yeah, that 92 Dream Team is like, if you're going to talk about great teams in the sports world, you can't not talk about them. I also think about the 1980s USA hockey team. You know, that amazing yeah. miracle on ice. And they were, you know, whereas the dream team was the most talented team by a mile, the USA 1980 hockey team probably wasn't the most talented team. And that's one thing to say right off the bat about teams. Sometimes it's about talent, but sometimes it's nothing to do about talent. It's really about chemistry and heart yeah. and shared mission. And so um, I think of that team. Um, and then when you think of fiction worlds, fictional worlds, you 
nowadays it would be the Avengers are like supposed to be this great team. You think of Star Wars, that team. Think of uh, DC. Yeah, DC, the 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 Lord of the Rings crew that destroys the ring. Oh yeah, they're my favorite team. When I met when I when I shared this message at church, I I said that I think the greatest team of all time though was the Goonies. I mean that's my favorite team: <laughs> Chunk and Mouth and Mikey and da- Data. <laughs> wow, that's great interesting. Team. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when we look at teams, and I, I guess it's probably assumed by now, leaders realize, like, you got to do things with teams. You got to get things done together. Uh, but when we look at Jesus, like, if anyone could have justified going it alone, it would have been the Son of God. And yet he built a team. And it certainly wasn't a team that sped him up. <laughs> it, was cert- it was a team that in many ways slowed him down. Yeah. Uh, but there's the old saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so um, I want us to look on our our time together, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 3. And Nehemiah chapter 3, according to one of the commentaries I read, is one of the least interesting chapters in the entire Bible. <laughs> That's a great setup. Which is very exciting. And uh, But Nehemiah chapter 3 is, all Nehemiah, doing is, Nehemiah is doing is he's listing the names of people who helped rebuild the wall. And he starts in the northeast corner, and he goes counterclockwise around the entire wall, just names and names and names and names and places and places and places. But as I looked into that chapter, I saw some interesting things that I think we can learn about what a great team looks like and people who are on great teams, what are they willing to do? And so I want to, I want to share six of those. We'll we'll go through the six of those. We'll be quick, but um, I'll read to you the verse that I'm getting this from, and then we'll jump in on it. Nehemiah chapter three, verse eight talks about Uziel, who was a goldsmith by trade who also worked on the wall. And beyond him was a guy named Hananiah, who was a manufacturer of perfumes. And that verse really jumped out at me because here you got a, a guy who's a goldsmith, who he works with his hands, but he's not a construction worker, who's building a wall. And you got this guy who's a manufacturer of perfumes. And not to categorize a man who manufactures perfumes, but I wouldn't think of him as a manual labor guy, right? And they very easily, both of them could have very easily said, no, we're not we're not wall builders. Like these are not wall building hands. These are perfume making hands, but they get to work and they start building the wall. And the first thing I think that's true of great team members is that they are willing to work outside of their comfort zone. I know there's a lot of talk in leadership about like get people in the right spot, the right seat on the bus. And I'm all for that. Like you've got to know your people, their gifts, their skills, and set them up to succeed. But how have you seen in your time of leadership that it's also necessary at times for team members to be willing to actually work outside of their comfort zone if that season of work requires it. Yeah, I think about it in this way, like if you're the leader, you want people in their comfort zone, but if you're the team member, yeah, you're willing to go anywhere the leader wants you to go. That's perfect, yeah. You know, and so you don't want team members who say, I'll only do this or only do that. Because there's not a, tr- sometimes it's a, well, you need to step outside your comfort zone and y- you will end up being great at things that you're not great at now. Exactly. You know, and, and, and then as a leader, you're obviously trying to balance between figuring out the sweet spot of people, like you said, but also recognizing and seeing vision and seeing number one, sometimes there's just stuff that we got to get done. Right. The stuff that none of us likes to do, right? Like cleaning up or well, sometimes you just got to put your sleeves up and get the work done. And there has to be a a work ethic there that, that shows up no matter what. And then sometimes there's stuff that if you push yourself and given the opportunity, you will end up expanding your skill set. 
And so I think it, it takes the combination of the leader and then the people that are working on the team to both have that commitment to go like, hey, I'll do whatever, and I, and I trust you. And then the leader going, trust me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you where it is best for you if you're willing. Yeah, you said some things that I want to follow up on. One being that some we often forget that everything we're good at now, we sucked at once, right? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. everything we do with ease, the first time we did it for the most part, unless you're a prodigy, it was not enjoyable. It was really difficult. And so right. just saying like, I don't want to do this because it's uncomfortable for me. How do you not know that five years from now, it might not be a significant part of what you what you do yeah. and what you're I great mean, public at? Public speaking is a great example, right? Mm-hmm. Majority of us who public speak on a regular basis, like for me, I was deathly afraid of public speaking and I was certainly terrible at it yeah. for a long time. And that's all well, we know. <laughs> Some would say still. <laughs> I mean, podcasting is a great example. Go back and listen to Jared on our very first episode. He could barely get his words out. I mean, his sentences said, were coming out yeah, and his verbs were in the wrong, wrong places. Yeah, and yeah it was so terrible. But, but yeah, everything that we're good at now, at one point, it was new to us. And so what that means is we have to, get, we have to be willing as team members. I think you said it really well. The leader wants to get the people in the right position, but the team members have to be willing to work outside of the comfort zone when needed. And this was an emergency, right? They need to rebuild these walls. It's like, it's great that you're making gold and it's great that you're making perfume, but if we get attacked, guess what's going to get destroyed? Your shop and your shop, right? And so sometimes there's crisis in leadership that requires people to do things. I think COVID was an example where like pastors who had very specific roles, maybe there was a pastor of, in big churches, like a pastor of media or a pastor of um, um, assimilation. Every pastor became a care pastor during COVID. And if I had said to like our administrator, I need you to call 20 people a day or text 20 people a day and just check in with them. And they say, no, 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 that's, I'm not really comfortable doing that. I'd much rather run the numbers or I'd much rather organize and prepare for Sunday service. I'd be like, well, we're not having a Sunday service right now. Right. Yeah. And so you have to adjust. And I think that willingness to uh, have an attitude of like, of like, this may not be my job. It may not be my responsibility. It may not be my problem, but I'm willing to step outside of my comfort zone. Not only does it create the opportunities of personal discovery where you realize, Oh, I actually can do this and growth, but also at times will put you shoulder to shoulder with new people where you'll be working on different teams alongside new people and building good relationships. So number one, good team members work outside their comfort zones. The second thing is that good team members work beyond other people's expectations. They don't just like meet the bare minimum. They don't just like, you know, this was kind of my whole approach in school was like, just do what I had to do to pass the test and not go above and beyond. And there's an interesting verse in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 12. Nehemiah says, Shalom and his daughters repaired the next section. And it'd be easy to read past that, but the phrase and his, da- and his daughters is actually very significant because at that time in history, the females would never have been involved in this type of manual labor. What his, da- what his daughters did here went beyond societal expectations and they worked. And it was so memorable that Nehemiah wrote about it. Yeah. And the best teams are filled with people who go above and beyond. How have you seen this and experienced this? Yeah, I think it looks it looks different for a lot of different people. But there's um, I think the best team members of there's a hunger toward the mission. And here's what I would say, because what I've seen is there's two types of people that go above and beyond. One tend to be motivated by things that are not what we would look for, like advancement or recognition, or it just seems to be like 
you're doing this because you want something. They're ambitious and selfish. And, right. And, yeah. And I think that needs to be discerned by leaders, and that needs to be kind of you don't want that on your team, and you got to help people work through that. But the other, the other going above and beyond is the motivation. Is I'm so in love with the mission. Mm-hmm. I so believe in this, and I believe in what we're doing that I'm I'm going to do everything I can to advance that and to be a part of that, and I'm excited about it. And so I I have to think like people that just do the bare minimum, it gives some insight into the culture of the team hmm. and their excitement and passion about about the mission and about what's being done you know what do you think you can do as a leader to shape a culture where working beyond job description and expectations and even hours and all this sort of stuff where you know what do you think a leader are there any practical things a leader can do to try and shape a culture of that yeah i think there's a lot of a lot you can do a lot We've talked about it before in other podcasts about keeping the mission and vision in front of people. Um, a practical way of doing that is to share stories, share the wins. Yeah. Um, there's something infectious in, within a team when, like you and I were having a conversation earlier about discipleship, and when one person talks about their their relationship with someone and helping someone find Jesus, right, and the joy that comes in, and then also other people hear that and go, oh my gosh, that's crazy, wow, that's so cool. I bet I could do that. I bet I could see that. So there's an affection that comes in sh- people sharing the wins and the stories yeah. because of their work that I think is a, feels a little more organic, but it really helps build culture, you know? Yeah, I think that's great. The celebrating, and there's a couple ways you can do that. You can do that publicly, right? Um, like say say you're listening, you're a youth pastor right now, and you have a youth worker who comes a half hour. You, you've asked your youth workers to be there 15 minutes early. But there's a youth worker, a volunteer, who comes a half hour early. They're ready to serve. Um, instead of being like, why doesn't everybody else come a half hour early? You could publicly celebrate them and just like um, do it in a way that doesn't make everybody else feel terrible, but just communicates like, this is amazing. But you could also tell them individually, like, hey, I see what you're doing and I appreciate it. But another thing that someone told me once is you can tell someone who is close to them. So, like, for example, say um, say there's a young woman on your on your volunteer team who comes a half hour early, and the next time you see her husband uh, or her mother or wh- whatever, and you just say, oh, you know what I love about so-and-so is, like, I see this, and I see that she's going above and beyond. I think it, it does a couple things. It, in, it, it encourages that family member, right? It helps them to realize, like, oh, man, someone else sees the great things in this person that I love. But also, like, there's something cool about hearing from somebody else that somebody else said something, too. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes it's not – you don't just have to tell them directly. You can just tell the people around them, this is what I love about this person. This is what's great. Brag on them. Yeah. And, and, and if it gets back to them, great. If it doesn't, it's fine because you're not doing it for that purpose. Right. But, but that does happen sometimes. The other thing I think is is – and maybe this is assumed is we have to model this ourselves, right? Yeah, that's that's really the ultimate. Yeah, yeah. you got to go beyond. If you're doing the bare minimum, your team is going to do the bare minimum. If they see you dragging your feet and showing up and kind of going through the routines, and if you're leading a ministry and they can tell you're not preparing, you're not putting the time in, you're showing up late, leaving as quick as you can, like, it all communicates something. Everything communicates something. So if yeah. you're going to build a team of people who work beyond others' expectations, um, you have to do the same. A couple of application questions for our listeners is, you know, in your work, how are you doing this? Are you doing the bare minimum? Are you looking for opportunities to go above and beyond because you believe in the mission or because you just want to steward well the opportunities that God has given you? Uh, another question is, how are you living out your faith in a way that exceeds the expectations of people around you for who a Christian is? Mm. That's another way we can live beyond 
others' expectations, or even in our relationships. We're so prone to take people for granted. The longer we've been in a relationship with someone, the, the, the less likely we are to go above and beyond with them. We just kind of think showing up is enough. Yep. And so these are things to be asking ourselves to help our teams working beyond others' expectations. All right, the third thing that we see in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that teams work through conflict. And in verse 5, it, um, Nehemiah says, Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. And in the whole chapter, this is the only time that Nehemiah has to point out conflict, which means there actually was a lot of unity, but there was conflict, which is inevitable with teams, right? Um, Working together is hard because we annoy each other. We bother each other. We have different opinions about how to get things done. It isn't a matter of... And that's just on this podcast. Right, yeah. I mean, I hate you most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) And it isn't a matter of if we're going to have conflict. It's a matter of when. Yeah. But I think one of the things we have to understand as leaders is that conflict itself is not the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. If there's no conflict, then probably people aren't speaking up. Mm Mm-hmm. The problem is not conflict. The enemy is not conflict. The problem is when we either avoid conflict or we embrace it in an unhealthy way. Yeah. So what are some things you've learned? Because I know that you've led a lot of teams, and I know just because of how annoying you are, there has to be a lot of conflict around you. Uh, What have you learned when it comes to teams who are able to work through conflict well? Yeah. I This one rings home to me because I grew up and I was very, like, I, I didn't, I, I ran from conflict. Really? You're yeah. so different now. I know. It's That's crazy. interesting. Well, what happened was I became a youth pastor at 21, and I remember just starting out, and I just, we it was kind of a mess that we stepped into, and I remember these parents that were coming and creating, they were like conf- creating issues, and I, I literally remember still the point where I was in the church thinking to myself, if I don't, if I don't learn to embrace conflict, I'm, I'm going to be crushed. Like I will not be able to do well in this. And I, so what I do is I started to force myself to engage with it and I hated it. I was so uncomfortable, but the more that I forced myself to engage, the more comfortable I, I became with it over time. And so, um, what I learned in my time with teams is some people, like you said, some people it's a spectrum, right? Some people are really uncomfortable with it, and you've got to coach them out of that uncomfortability. Yeah. And you have to model for them that this is okay, and you're you got to be the one to go to them and say, "Hey, man, I know this happened, and I said this, but um, here's what I'm feeling, or here's what I'm thinking." And you can see the uncomfortability in them, but you're helping them go like, "This isn't the end of the world." Right. right. It's almost like exposure therapy. And a lot of that is like the home they grew up in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if if conflict in your home was a time where everybody went to their room and hid then that's how you're going to probably deal with conflict. But if conflict led to something terrible, maybe like a divorce or, or, or an abusive home, then um, you may not be willing to actually benefit from conflict because you can't see the positive side of it because you didn't see it growing up. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I, I, you, I tried to assess like where my team was at and, and what people did better with it or worse with it. And then I just tried to, to handle it appropriately and, and coach them through it. And at the end of the day, like we said, for a lot of these is model it hmm. and show them what it would look like. And, and whenever I had conflict, one of the things that I learned, I, I can't remember who I learned it from, but the probably I, me, probably you, the idea that, um, actually this may have been from you. I can't remember, but <laughs> the idea that you want to anticipate what their biggest fears are going to be mm-hmm. And then dispel those fears for them on the front end, you know. So let's say uh, one of the team members didn't perform the task they were supposed to do. 
well, maybe one of their biggest fears is that you don't like them or that you're not proud of them or that um, you don't want them to be on the team anymore, right? So you start off by saying, hey, man, I just want you to know, like, number one, I love you. I think I think you're amazing. I think God's got so many plans for you. I'm Thank so you. excited about your future on this team. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're sorry. However, Continue. however, you've been a terrible podcast co-host. <laughs> Um, but yep. you know, dispelling those fears before then saying to them, cause then they know like no matter what's coming, it's not my worst nightmare. It's not the things I was worried about. Right. And they're in a better position to hear what you need to say. Yeah. Cause until you take those things off the table, they're waiting for you to say that. So yeah. the whole time they're listening to you kind of, but they're just waiting for what they're afraid of. Yeah. And that's actually a, something that, that, um, if we were going to, if I was going to make a recommendation to our listeners who struggle with conflict, there's a book called Crucial Conversations, mm. which is the best book I've read on this topic. And so go get it, read it. There's definitely some things to net. There's definitely some tools to navigate conflict. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of that. But maybe we should do, I just was actually looking through our old podcast and wondering, like, have we done an episode just on how to, like, have crucial conversations? I don't think we have. Yeah. So we probably should do that soon. We will. Um, you want to just do it now? Yeah, we got an extra 40 minutes. This will be a, this will be a two and a half hour podcast, everyone. <laughs> Number four, team, great team members work with passion. In verse 20, um, Nehemiah remembers this guy named Baruch who zealously repaired part of the wall. It's like the only time he uses an adverb to describe how people do work. And I, <laughs> I immediately envisioned the character Fix-It Felix from yeah, the Wreck-It yeah, Ralph. Yeah. Like, what does it look like to zealously? Did he whistle while he worked? Was he just like super fast? Was he super energetic? But, you know, passion, a couple things about passion. Passion is noticeable. Passion doesn't always look the same, though. Some people, their personality, their passion is loud and gregarious. For introverts, passion might make you more actually focused and intense. Yeah. But passion is noticeable. And then the last thing about passion is passion is contagious. Like when I'm around passion, and it doesn't have to be something I'm passionate about. Right. I was having breakfast recently with someone in our church, and they're a big hunter. And, and I'm not a hunter. I, I'm not against it. I just never have. And But listening to him talk about it, I was like, maybe I love hunting too, you know, and there's <laughs> something go. about that. So yeah. um, how have you seen that in your experience working with teams that, that when you have team members with passion, noticeable, measurable, contagious passion, what it can actually do for the team? Yeah, it helps. It helps create culture and momentum and, and movement. So you've got to you've got to cultivate it. Number one, you got You do have to model it and and keep it in front of that. But you've got to leverage the people that are passionate, you've got to leverage that to help the others, like you said, gain that fire. And it's it can be really infectious really fast. Yeah. And passion and hype are not the same thing, right? No. Especially with this generation, the younger generation, like they see through that sort of inauthenticity really quick. So passion is not just like, yeah, team, we're going to get this. Da, 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 da. Passion is kind of seen over a long period of time, I think. Yeah. You know, hype can be in a moment, but passion is like the ongoing steady commitment with energy and excitement to a cause. And so great team members have passion. And I just wish you were more passionate about this podcast. Well, I just want to put that it's out It's been there. three years now, so it's hard to keep the fire going. Hard to keep the passion. No, we're, we're always excited to do this. We, we, we do this for our listeners and for Jesus. Yep. Not for the money, despite what a lot of the critics have been saying. I know. Yep. <laughs> Wait, you're making money? Uh, 
Let's move on. Number five. Number Number five, great team members work for each other. And I'm not going to read this passage, but when you move into Nehemiah 4, they're they're in a dangerous situation. There's some enemies on all sides who basically say, we're going to attack and knock down your your terrible wall. And they actually make fun of their wall. And they're like, if a fox ran on your wall, it would fall over. Pretty good good trash talk. Oh, that's a class. I'm going to keep that one. (laughs) Yeah, use that one. Um, Next time you see someone building a wall. Yeah. But what they, what Nehemiah does, and he's a brilliant leader, is he has half the men stand guard and half the men continue to work. And even the men who are working actually still are are ready to fight. They have a, I think they have a sword on them. And these half these men literally have the other men's back. And when I think of teams that succeed, they have each other ba- have each other's back. Yep. They work for each other. And if there's the number one thing that will tear a team down is a lack of trust. Mm. No trust, no team. And great team members work for each other. They look out for each other. They don't say, that's your problem. And if you, if you mess up, then it looks bad on you. And that'll make me look like a more important member of the team, right? It's we win and we lose together. And I tell my daughter this all the time because she plays soccer and lacrosse. And she's always like, I never want to be goalie because goalies give up goals. And I always say to her, goalies don't give up goals. Teams give up goals, yeah. right? It's the whole team has different responsibilities when it comes, not even just the defense. The offense is supposed to be helping the defense in certain times. So teams give up goals, not goalies. And team members who are going to be really great understand that concept. We're yeah. working together for each other. Yeah, we. I always felt like I want my team to be friends with each other. Mm. And that doesn't that – doesn't, you don't have to be the same age, the same interest to, to be friends with – I think – Friends ultimately fight for each other in a way that non-friends have a harder time doing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to be friends with the people that I'm working with and moving towards. And I think as a leader, if you want that in the teams that you're a part of and have, you've got to cultivate that. Because at the end of the day, when um, when someone really loves a person next to them and has a friendship for them, they're going to fight for them. They're going to advocate for them. So yeah. I, I would make that a goal to try to cultivate that and and if you're a leader, that doesn't just happen in the regular eight to five workspace, right? No. You've got to get the team together in different environments, over to your house for a meal, build meaningful relationships, create creating memories together. Like that's a really big deal. All right. The last thing from Nehemiah chapter three that we learn about great team members is that they work for the right reasons. We've already talked about this a little bit, the motivation. And at the very beginning of Nehemiah chapter three, it actually starts with a, um, the high priest rebuilding the sheep gate, which was the gate through which the priest would bring the sacrificial sheep so that they can make an offering to God. And then they dedicate the entire building of the wall to God. And so just to be kind of short and sweet with this sixth point here, that team members work for the right reasons. The right reason is the glory of God, not my personal glory. Yeah, And it's you're going to be a terrible team member if you're in it for your glory. And the truth is, is that in the Bible, the word glory actually means weight. And I, I think there's a, there is a weightiness that comes with glory that we're not actually created to bear up under. Mm. And we actually um, destroy ourselves in our pursuit for glory when the glory, the weight of the glory belongs to God and God alone. And, and Nehemiah got that. He started right off by, first thing he did was rebuilt the gate through which they could make sacrifices so they could be right with God, dedicated the work to God, they said, this is from you and this is for you. And I think what Nehemiah was tapped into was this idea that the work we do has to flow out of the work God has done for us. Or yeah. In the New Testament, we see the, the work that we do has to flow out of the work that Jesus has done for us. If we do work to try to uh, pull things into our lives and into our hearts that Jesus has already given to us through his work, 
then we'll always work for the wrong reasons. But if we can rest in Christ's work and then do our work out of gratitude and worship, then we'll work for the right reasons. And that's the last thing we see in this chapter. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, before we go and close, we want to do a little portion called David's Eats, where we not only help you become better leaders, but also better eaters. Mm. And since we came off of Fourth of July, I know um, our uh, a lot of feedback I've gotten from our previous podcast, a lot of listeners were disappointed in David's Eats for his Fourth of July picks. A lot of talk about just simple hot dogs and um, I got a lot of negative pushback, mm. a lot of negative reviews on mm. that um, in that episode. So um, I, I do want to do a follow-up and say, what was the best thing you did end up eating yeah. on the 4th of July? Well, I had family in town, and, and they were very gracious in showing up with some USDA prime ribeye. I mean, a 13-pound a, a slab of ribeye that I had to butcher and reverse mm. sear. But I've already talked about reverse sear. The other thing they showed up with, courtesy of Costco's, was this bag of jumbo shrimp. And whatever you're thinking of when you think of jumbo shrimp, it was bigger. <laughs> These shrimp were massive. And so all they did were was like mini like we could use them as like floats in the pool. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then eat them. That sounds great. <laughs> um we uh so you cut open the bag, well defrost it, cut open the bag and then just poured in like olive oil, minced garlic, salt, pepper, a little chili pepper flake, and then just shook it all up. And then because they're so big and they're in the shell, they grill. They grill really great. It's very hard to mess it up. And so we just grilled them, you know, a couple minutes on both sides. I mean, I could have, I could have, I actually could have gone without the steak and just had like two dozen of those shrimp. Wow. So you did a little surf and turf. little surf and turf. So let's just remind the listeners, um, he said what he was looking forward to was a hot dog. <laughs> what he ended up with was reverse-seared sirloin, prime prime sirloin and jumbo shrimp. Isn't it amazing how the Lord works? God really, re- so he really rescued and redeemed you so in that faithful. one. Hey, everybody. Hope you had a great fourth. Hope you enjoyed this podcast, and we look forward to seeing you guys on the next one.